0: Uh, the Beatitudes again this morning in our sermon series. Uh, this is a very exciting week, isn't it? Because how many know that we have a parade coming in town? <laughs> no, really? Um, and we have a carnival coming back as well. And on Thursday, our church partners with the Christian church, and we feed the carnival people. And so Paul Siznowski is in charge of that, if you want to help out with that. Uh, got to feed the carnies yep. and then um, it was exciting for McPherson College with the conference track meet it was really fun to come and watch you guys yeah. and it was also fun to hear about the, your baseball team I think won something right conference, first time like ever and uh, there's a huge car show on campus and our, our own Randy Walker won a best in something for his 50 truck what? Best in category for truck. for Randy Walker got best looking contestant. No. So we got uh, Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew 5. And so Lord, we ask you to um, just open our eyes that we may hear you today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Matthew 5, our, the beatitude we're at now is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For they will see God. Who doesn't want to see God? Who doesn't want to get a better glimpse of God, to know him better? I mean, if you could sit down with a cup of coffee with Jesus, God incarnate, for two hours and, and just ask him anything you want. Listen to him, what, what he, a word he has for you, promises that, and assurance he extends to you. I think people would travel from across the globe and pay big money to be able to have an encounter like that with a living God and a living Savior. We want to see God. And how can we see God? We need a pure heart. It's as simple as that. The heart in the New Testament represents the center of who we are. It represents our thoughts, our feelings, our motives. And so they thought of the heart as being central to everything, the core of who we are, So we just need a pure heart, and we'll see God, all right? Let's close in prayer. (laughs) What does it mean to have a pure heart? Um, It means a couple of things. It means to be untainted or unmixed with anything. Like pure milk chocolate, for example, doesn't have the plastic that Palmer candy has in it, you know? You taste it and you feel like you're eating plastic almost. Pure milk chocolate or pure maple syrup or pure honey, pure salt, a purebred racehorse. Doesn't have any mixture of any other breed. Uh, Pure silver, pure gold, pure spring water, pure air, pure orange juice, pure ivory soap. Speaking of ivory soap, how many know that ivory soap was created by accident because the one who was mixing up the soap chemicals and whatnot left it in the in the bin too long with it, you know the batter or what not batter whatever it was soap was just you know spinning in that and he, and he forgot about it he came back and and it had become fluffier in fact when it hardened this soap floated it was the first soap to float and this was mysterious floating soap became known as ivory everyone wanted to know about this ivory soap in the day but ivory soap is only ninety nine point four four percent pure. Sorry, not quite pure enough. And then there are the oxymorons, like a pure mutt. What's that? Or a pure speculation, oxymoron. Well, the New Testament word for pure is in the Greek is katharos, and as you we get cater, you know, cathartic and catheterization and whatnot from that word. Um, it's used to describe gold that had been refined in fire to remove all of its impurities or dirty clothing that had been washed or cleansed or grain or flour that had been sifted and cleansed of all of its impurities or milk or wine that had no mixture of any other liquid or water within the contents. So they referred to purity even back then. They understood this. So to have a pure heart, we need to eliminate any impurities, any Mixture of, of sin in our lives, in our thoughts and our words and our deeds and our motives, and then we'll have a pure heart and then we'll see God. David said, Psalm 66, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, nor would we be able to see Him. Blessed are those whose thoughts and motives are absolutely pure. Unmixed, untainted, genuine, sincere. There's no residue of selfishness or immorality or idolatry or greed. Blessed are the pure in heart. It also means that we would have a single minded loyalty to God. As the Apostle Paul wrote So whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. Or Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first. Your top priority, the kingdom of God, seek first. Or in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve both God and man. Or money, I mean. God and money. Wealth. But no matter how hard we try, we're going to fall short of having this pure heart that we long for. Why? Well, for at least two reasons. Many reasons. But two reasons. One is we seek a purity by our own definition and our own strength. I read about a guy who uh, was hired to stripe a road, you know, with the yellow stripes down the middle, but the machine broke, the striper machine broke, and so they hired him to paint by hand. And so I said, okay. And so the first day he, stri- he striped nine miles worth of stripes down this road, and his supervisor, was so, he was so impressed, he said, man, I'm going to hire you. I'm going to pay you time and a half if you do that again, if you keep it up. And so the next day, though, he was only able to strike five miles. The third day, only one mile. Fourth day, just half a mile. And so the supervisor called him in, and he, he said, what in the world happened before I have to let you go? As the man turned to walk away after being fired, he said, It isn't my fault. Shaking his head, I just kept getting further and further away from the paint can. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But essentially, spiritually, that's what we do. In our own strength, and our own effort, we try to be holy and righteous and good and pure. And we try to be really nice and kind and all these things. But we end up failing and we know it in our hearts. Because we hear our thoughts, we know our motives, we know our hypocrisy. So how can we be pure in heart? Our be- best efforts will fall short. Or we fall short because, like the Pharisees, we mistake this, this purity or this holiness for external behavior or, or external appearance. In Matthew 23, Jesus confronted them when he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of, you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean, also be clean. Verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear as, to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. When I first moved here, I was called to help move someone out of this abandoned house. This, bro- this house in, in Disheveled house, whatever. And so I walked in and we moved some stuff. And it was time to move the refrigerator. And in order to get a good grasp of the refrigerator, I opened the refrigerator door, and out wafted this horrible smell of rotten food and mold, and you could almost see it. You know, you could say it was a moving experience for the food was inside. Um, and, and so I quickly shut it, and so I, I knew what to do. I, I quickly ran to Dylan's and I got some, some cleanser and some rags and even some chrome shine, and, 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 I, and I buffed up and, and cleansed the entire refrigerator top to bottom on the outside. It looked beautiful opened the door and it still stunk. I said, what's wrong? Oh, I know what's wrong. I need to decorate it. And so I went and bought some magnets and some cool pictures to hang on there. And I said, now this refrigerator will be happy and it will not smell. Well, nothing happened. So I said, I know what I need to do. This poor thing needs little fellowship. And so I went to my garage and I got my mini fridge and I brought my toaster over to this house in blender, and I set it on the counter next to the refrigerator. I said, now this refrigerator will be happy, and it will, it will not let out this horrific odor. But it didn't work. And so I said, I know what's happening. This, fri- this poor fridge is bored. He's discontent. He needs a little excitement and pleasure in his life. So I turned the radio on in the house, and I purchased some briars and frozen pizzas and chicken wings and T-bone steaks, and I quickly threw them in. I shut the door, and the next day I came back, I opened it. It stunk even worse than ever. You get the point, right? We try to deal with our inner unholiness and sin issues by external means and methods like the Pharisees did. We need to first clean and purify that that which is within. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 15. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. How in the world do we get that out of our heart so that we have a pure heart? David cried out, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, Lord. Create in me. How can we become pure? Well, there are four different kinds of purity in Scripture. The first is divine purity. Only God alone is pure. Pure. Perfectly pure and holy. We are not. It says of our hearts, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Divine purity. And there's another purity. It's called positional purity. After we receive Christ, uh, we do so by a gift given to us, right? We're saved by grace. It's a gift. We accept Christ. We become children of God. We become saints or holy ones without doing a thing. Because it's a gift from God he gives us positionally. That's how Jesus sees us. Through his his glasses, he views us because he sees Jesus living in us, his spirit indwelling us, which makes us holy in his sight, justified, just as if I had not ever sinned. God gives us new hearts and fills us with himself. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He says, I'll even give you the desires to want to know me, to worship me, to go to church, to serve me, to long for my things. That's a gift. It's God's part. He does this for us. And an ocean fish lives its entire life life in salt water it grows in a culture where every moment it's surrounded by salt so much so that if humans were to drink the salt enough of it it would kill us but not these fish but once these fish are caught and prepared by fishermen then you need to add a little salt to them like why well the same god that takes a fish and keeps it in an environment surrounded its entire life was salt, but never affected by salt, can keep us pure in an impure world. He does so by his indwelling spirit that he gives us. That's his part. We are, we are positionally righteous, holy, pure in God's sight. But then there's our part. There's progressive purity. Elmer Towns writes, we can never do what God alone can do, but God will not do what he has called us to do. In other words, we need to participate, cooperate with God. We need to surrender ourselves to God, open ourselves up to his transforming power and presence. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? David writes, by living according to your word, I have hidden, I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. David was proactive in his pursuit of God and holiness. I've hidden your word in my heart. Peter, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he has called you as holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's called progressive purity, our part, where we participate and cooperate with God in obedience. But even when we do so, we blow it and we fall short. Does that mean then we'll lose our status as children of God? Or we'll no longer be seen as saints when we mess up and sin? And of course we know the answer to that, no, no. We're given this privilege to be able to come before him every morning. His mercies are new every morning when we confess our need for him and our sin. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and purify us from all of our unrighteousness. But we'll never be perfectly holy this side of heaven, but we are being perfected at all times by the Spirit within us. He's changing us on the inside out. And this is what he writes in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, here it is, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And this doesn't happen automatically. It happens when we cooperate, when we surrender to him. There's a fourth type of purity, and quickly, it's perfected purity. One day, we'll be perfectly pure when we're in God's presence for all eternity. Perfected purity. So, here's the promise then. Blessed are the pure in hearts, those who receive Christ, those who have been made holy, those who then cooperate with him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How do we see God today? A lot of people, they claim they see God in a lot of images, like this pen. There he is, there's Jesus, or in a piece of toast, or in that cloud there. It's a kind of a scary God right there in the cloud. But all sorts of things. People will go all around the world to see images of, of Jesus or God and appearances of Virgin Mary and this and that. you know. But that's not what he meant, that we'll see him with our naked eye. We'll see him with the eyes of her heart, Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Again, remember, a pure heart is one who has a single-mindedness and a single-minded loyalty and devotion to God. And what we devote ourselves to will determine what we see. For example, if you're walking through the woods, taking a hike with a friend, and your friend happens to be a botanist, a science major, whatever, a nature lover, then you're going to see a bunch of weeds and stuff and branches, and he's going to point out every tree and every plant and name them by name, you know? Because he's devoted to his major, and so he will see things that we will not see, or, or like my friend Tim Mysick, I traveled in Heart Song with him, this singing group around the country for a year, and and we traveled in this fifteen-passenger van. And Tim would sit there, and he would often yell, "Whoa, they're there!" And they're they're ground chucks or something, you know. They were because he used to trap these things, these suckers, you know. And he, and he would see them everywhere in, in the medians in the highway, you know, he he saw these ground chucks and no one else saw them, but he did. And sure enough, we pulled over and there they were. He had eyes to see that which he was devoted to. And if we're devoted to our pursuit of holiness in God, then God says, man, I want to reveal myself to you more than you want to see me. And that's why Jesus said, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." When we pursue God, we will perceive thoughts to be Holy Spirit promptings. We'll perceive coincidences to be miraculous answers to prayer. We will understand disappointments to be God appointments. We'll understand our sufferings to be ways that God is maturing us. We'll, be, we'll see imperfect churches to be opportunities for ministry. We will see world events to be God's sovereign activity. We'll see the least of these to be encounters with Jesus because Jesus said, if you've, if you've ministered to the least of these, you've ministered to me. If we will see our weaknesses as opportunities to experience God's strength. We'll see our failures to be opportunities for renewal and repentance because we have eyes to see now. And secondly, seeing God means understanding that we have Access to God: immediate access. Back in the Old Testament days, when one would approach a king, then they would have to do all sorts of rigmarole just to enter into the courtroom. Even Queen Esther couldn't go see her husband without people praying for her and, and she bowing before him, because she wouldn't be grant, granted, she wouldn't be granted access. Even the queen. They had to be invited. Or they had to do something of great worth to go into the presence of the king. In the same way, no human is worthy of seeing King Jesus or God. And no one is worthy enough to be invited into his presence until Jesus died and rose again. And when he died on the cross, the temple curtain tore in half. And now we can have access to the Holy of Holies. And he invites us now. Because of my death in your place, you now have access to God the Father at any time. And you can see God in prayer. Hebrews 4: Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I used to keep a prayer notebook when I was on Heart Song, that singing group. And I had like four or five pages of prayer requests as I met people. And then on one side, I had the prayer request. On the other side, I had the answers and the dates. When I experienced answers or heard of the answers. And at the end of the year, I looked at my prayer pages, and I noticed that like 85% of them had been answered. And I thought, are you kidding me? I had no idea. Because they just happened. Oh, praise God. But I had no idea how faithful God was when I prayed specifically like that. We have access to God in worship as well, we enter his courts with praise. God says, you draw near to me, I promise I will draw near to you. We have access through his word. We meet the living word, Jesus, in his written word. Yet we, can, we know that there's so much more to see seeing God, don't we? We still have this longing to know God and see him more clearly. Well, the final promise is we'll see him face-to-face in eternity. For now we see in a mirror dimly. We get glimpses of God. But then, in the future, we'll see him face-to-face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And so that's the promise we have. As we conclude this sermon, I'm going to invite Pastor uh, Dick Scar up here fellow covenant pastor from down the road, and he's going to share his testimony as we have a testimony with each one of these Beatitudes. Pastor Dick, there you are. If there's anyone in this church who pursues God as a priority, it's this guy here. You can tell by the tie he wears. (laughs) By my covenant pin. And a covenant pin, too.
1: When I got up this morning, I looked in the mirror to get ready to shave and to comb my hair and brush my teeth and all that stuff. I hardly recognized the man in the mirror. I saw an old man with a white beard. I saw a man who can't see very well, and I see a man who can't walk very well. He's unstable on his feet. But when I survey the landscape that is my life, I see a different person. I see several persons, I see several versions of the same person, in fact. I see a little four-year-old boy who started Sunday school before he started kindergarten in public school. I see a little boy who grows up in Sunday school and has taught two very important statements. They were implanted in my heart as a young boy. Love God, love God's word. They sound the same, but they're really two sides of the same coin. Love God, love God's word. And I see a junior high kid sitting in a pew in his church in Minneapolis waiting for a Sunday school class to begin. We start off, off as young kids in the basement. We graduated to junior high into the adult department. We felt really good about that. So I'm sitting there waiting for the class to begin, so I'm, I'm paging through my Bible. At that time, it was a King James Version. And I was paging through it, and I came across a verse in Colossians 3.23. I read that verse. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto God, not men. I thought, that's a great verse. I can live that verse, and so at that point, I chose that to be my life's verse, beginning in seventh grade. And I've tried to live that life all, all, live that way all of my life. Then I see a young civil engineer person, dark beard now. He's designing and building bridges. Starts off in Minneapolis first, Minneapolis area, Twin City area, in Minnesota first. Then he went to um, Los Angeles County Road Department, did the same thing out there, building bridges and designing bridges. All the time he's in Sunday school, learning what it means to love God and love God's word. Still doing all that in Sunday school. Then I see a... Middle-aged to older gentleman now with a white beard at this time. He'd been called into the ministry, had a vision from God that specifically called him to serve God. And so he served God for 35 years in two different covenant churches, one in Traverse City, Michigan, and one in here in New Gotland, Kansas. Then I see a man who is building a life and raising children with it with his bride of 55 years. And through it all, through the ups and downs of life, the good parts and the bad parts and everything that happened in between, he had those same statements in his heart. Love God, love God's word, and serve God. It was that pure motive of his heart to serve God with all of his heart that kept him going in the right direction. Now as I look back on nearly 77 years of life, I can see God's hand in my life as he was directing me as I was going along the way, turning me this way, turning me that way. Don't go there, go here. Following God all of my life. I can see God's hand. Now I can say simply, To God be the glory. Thank you for listening to me.
0: Thanks, Dick. When I look at you, I see Jesus. So thank you for being... You okay? All right. Awesome. And uh, he also teaches men's Bible study every Wednesday night. And so he's a gift to our church as well. In his retirement, he's still serving God, living the crescendo life. Uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Dick and just for the gift that he is to us, that you led him here, and that he's continuing to use his, his spiritual gifts uh, to build the body of Christ here at Countryside. I pray, Lord, that as we look at him, um, we'll be able to give you thanksgiving for the the righteousness and the purity that you've instilled in his heart and that you've grown in his heart as he's cooperated with you. I pray, Lord, that uh, we will all continue to uh, pursue that holiness and that we will see you more clearly each and every day as a result. In Christ's name, amen.